Welcome to Retirement Unlimited with Randy Barkley and Jeremiah Lee. This is a program where we discuss life's hard financial questions to help you make smart decisions about your money. I'm a certified financial planner and Jeremiah is a California licensed attorney. We work together at Tricord Advisors. Tricord is a registered investment advisory firm where we help our clients build the life that they love. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on future episodes, just send us an email. Use the contact button on our website, retirementunlimited.com, or just give our office a call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. Each week we discuss life's hard financial questions in three sections. We're going to kind of kind of spread this out over two this time. We're going to talk about the same general theme throughout this throughout the program today. And uh, but normally we break it down into retirement update, tactical asset management and news you can do, use. But in today's section, we're going to talk about I think what it's I think it's at the top of top of subjects. Most everybody I'm talking mm-hmm. about is inflation. Obviously, the Ukraine war. Is it is it Putin's reason that we're having inflation right now? Or are there other factors that are going on with it? The word that ki- keeps coming to mind that kind of sticks in the back of my throat, and that is transitory. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be temporary? What does temporary mean to us, right? What do you think? Yeah, let's answer all of it today. Let's, <laughs> let's get it figured out. So yeah, inflation is a real interesting one at the moment today. We're seeing inflation. We're seeing inflation all throughout the economy. And the, the question we've been talking about for the last six months is, is this transitory? Is this right. um, you know, something that's going to be coming or going? And again, I, the, the things that I'm looking at, and I think it's kind of interesting that hoarding I mean, I, I call it the toilet paper syndrome, but now what's happening is people feel that what they're buying, groceries in particular, are going to be a lot more expensive. So they're having a tendency to buy particularly mm-hmm. processed food. One of the articles I read was about a lady that went in and she bought virtually the entire shelf of macaroni and cheese. She said, I'm never going to be caught without something mm-hmm. in the future. But what does that do for the people after her that are just trying to buy a couple boxes, right? Yeah. What does that do for the people who are producing macaroni and cheese? Right. You know, they just had record sales, say, you know, because of that woman in that store. So often they would buy more. Right. And now are we going to see a glut on the other side or is there just none? And I think that's what we find ourselves in for a lot of areas of the economy is it, things are tight. So to put some numbers to this, you know, the, this last year, we had 7.9% surge in inflation type prices. Yeah. That's a, that's a 40 year high. That's, that's from the same month, you know, for one year difference. So 7.9 increase and the essentials this is the key one. I think the essential items, you know, food, energy, stuff like that has had a 16% increase. Yeah. So those, those are the things that you and I, we don't live without. I mean, you got to put gas in your car. Yep. You got to put food in your mouth and those are essential to our day-to-day life. Right. So, and they're essential to everybody. You know, one of the, the comments that, that we were looking at is, you know, people who are in the lower, you know, 25%, the lower quarter of the economy, as far as income, you know, generally they're spending about 25% of their income on food. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, yeah, for people that are in that lower quadrant, uh, economically, inflation is brutal onto yeah. them. It is very brutal. And I, I don't want to minimize that because I mean, if you're having to spend 25% and all of a sudden your food prices go up $50, $100 a month more, it really destroys your budget. Yep. And you couple that with what we're currently seeing of higher gas prices. You know, if you mm-hmm. drive to a job, um, so your commuting just got expensive and rising rent and house prices here in our, mm-hmm. our region, inland region, it, it, it becomes a really tough 
moment. Right. And so the question being for a lot of folks, you know, is this just a moment? You know, it's going to be hard and we'll get through it. Is this something that is going to persist? And what we've talked about before is, you know, the, the Fed, the federal, um, the chairman, as they come out, they've had the word transitory in a lot of things. And we've talked a lot about transitory. Right. And transitory is not, you know, one month, but it's, it's the idea that it won't be two years. It won't be this ongoing thing. Well, they've, they've dropped the word transitory as we're now, you know, six, eight months, a year in to having this inflation. And what people are asking is, will this continue? And there's a few dynamics here. It's not just a yes, no. There's yeah, this a- is not just one thing. You know, Biden, Biden is coming out and making a comment. This is Putin's. The reason for this is Putin. But there's, it is much more involved than just the war in Ukraine right now. Right. And that didn't help, you know, no. you know arguably the, the war in Ukraine and, and what Putin's doing and the sanctions we're putting on Russia are, are not helping, you know, our keep down our, our food costs and our oil prices. However, I agree. They're not the, they're not the main driver. And the question for a lot of folks is what comes next? You know, are we going to see just continuing inflation? And that's the scary part. If you're on a fixed income or you're struggling to make food at the moment, and this continues this rate of increase for a year or two, that's real scary. Yeah, you know, we're looking at uh, 2023. I mean, the economists that we're looking at, it looks like, again, remember, and this is the comment that I made the other day to a client. I said, there's probably warehouses full of respiratory machines, hmm. you know, that were built because of the onset of COVID. Think about hand sanitizers. We couldn't get them. Now there is probably warehouses that are backed up with hand sanitizers. Yeah. So be careful about making long-term decisions for the moment. Yeah, because hand sanitizer and respirators, I think are great examples. You know, what's going to happen to the prices of those devices, those machines, or, or that hand sanitizer You know, six months from now? On one version, they're still available. You still get right. hand sanitizer. It's ubiquitous. We all have some. However, also for the respirators, if they come out with a, a new type of respirator, a better process, you know, not to say they'll become worthless, but you know, the technology could leapfrog over that yeah. because you have such a glut of them. And, and so it, it's an odd thing that happens all throughout the economy. You know, there's a shortage. Um, people respond to it. They produce more. And then either they, they right-sized it and everything returns to normal, or they've oversized it. And now there, there's too much. I mean, meat is a really, I think, good example of this as well. Uh, meat prices, we saw those go way up. Um, there just wasn't enough meat. And so it, even currently, the food prices are high. Now, the question is, you know, as they respond, the response to that is more cattle, <laughs> more, more animals. And, but it's not immediate. It's going to take some time. Yeah. So will we see, say, six fun, months from now, are we going to see a flood of chicken and, and beef and pork under the market? Or will it be just right? So the concern is not just we have high prices now. Oh, no. We may also have some deflationary low prices six months to a year from now. And, and, and how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, how do you make sure that the, the, the whipsaw effect isn't something that is going to kind of wreak havoc on our economy, both sides? Because you think of a, a grocer, you know, your, 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 your corner store or even a larger supermarket, they're trying desperately to get the goods and they're having to charge high prices for them. If on the flip side, they have things that just sit on their shelves and they can't sell them any longer because there's just too many and the prices you know, plummet, you know, it's, it's well, good for us if prices come down. Well, it's like the demand for uh, we need energy. So yeah. natural gas is a natural, um, we have abundant natural gas. It's one of the cleaner sources of fossil fuel that we have. And yet it, it almost invariably happens. They haul up the CEOs up to Congress and they grill them about their profits. Hmm. Yeah, at the same point in time, what they ought to be doing, I mean, their policy, again, uh, you know, I'm sure it differs with some of the people that are listening to me, but you don't, you don't um, browbeat the very people that are producing the thing that you need. What mm-hmm. you ought to do is create incentive, incentive for them to build, to get more. 
And natural gas is something that we have abundant supply of. It reminds me going back to Jimmy Carter and how they were limiting their, they were turning down the thermostat, so to speak. And Ronald Reagan came in to Jimmy, you know, in, in essence, what he said, we have a lot of fossil fuel. We have a lot of energy. And there was a lot of political reasons, policy policies, why energy wasn't, we didn't have as much as we should have had. Within a relatively short period of time, we had a, a supply of it. So again, when governmental policies regulate, it increases the cost and it reduces the supply. Mm. Some of this is policy. It's not just Putin, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. That's a, a really good comment. I mean, with right now, we have a we don't have a demand problem. And some of the policies they're considering is, you know, more stimulus, you know, things like that. I think, I think Biden's been speaking about that. And you know, that would, in essence, spur on some of this inflation. There'd be more demand with the, the supply hasn't caught up. Um, and I think the Fed is trying to work carefully with interest rates to, you know, work hand in yeah, hand. Fed, the, with- Fed, the Fed right now has a real tough job because if they increase interest rates too much, it can throw us in a recession. If they're not enough, it can increase and exasperate the inflationary factors. Yep. But there is one comment that I would like to make, and it's something that we've talked to a lot of economists about, and is that typically recessions don't work or don't happen when we have a low unemployment environment. Mm-hmm. And we are still in a very low unemployment environment. Yeah, people are still having a hard time finding enough employees. Right. So, right. So it's unique, right? I mean, it's not directly comparable to previous times. And the, the Fed, you know, if they, just like you said, if, if they, don't raise interest rates, you know, and they don't do it fast enough and the economy's overheating. And then with that, Biden decides to do more stimulus. You know, we could have a, a extreme overheating. Oh, hyperinflation. Um, which would be very difficult. Um, we could also have a thing where they raise too quickly, the Fed raises too quickly and there's no additional stimulus. Right. And you know, we could see deflation. It's interesting. This last week, we've been talking to some economists about deflation, right. which is, is funny in the midst of, you know, everyone feeling inflation. But the idea being that, that you know, with the, the activities the Fed is taking with what we're seeing in the economy, we may see it go the opposite direction, which is also very painful for, for companies. Right. And so it's interesting to be even talking about that, you know, of recession and deflation in the midst of an, a, an economy that seems to be overheating and, and prices going up. But the issue I, I see in your comment about the employment is not that, you know, we as a society are just overheating and we're just doing too much. We have some supply shortages. And the right. question is, when will those get sorted out? And how will they get sorted out across the entire economy? Right. You know, those, I think, are what's driving these spikes in prices. Um, hoarding being part of it, you know, items that can be hoarded, but also just an inability to, to get some of this information. Yeah, we're going to continue our conversation in our next segment. And our whole conversation here today is just to kind of talk about inflation, the impact of it, and the endurance of it. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a bit. You know, retirement is supposed to be a secure time. Are you secure? Do you and your loved ones have the information needed to make the right decisions about retirement? You need counsel, not another salesperson, an advisor that looks out for your interest more than theirs. This is Dennis Prager, and I'd like you to call Randy Barkley, a certified financial planner who's been serving the Inland Empire for over 26 years. He's a retirement specialist who works for you on all the important and often confusing things that determine how comfortable you are in retirement. Call Randy Barkley for a free consultation and learn for yourself what I've learned. He can be trusted. Randy Barkley, 888-627-8371, 888-627-8371. 
800-242-8371. Or visit me, Randy Barkley, at retirementunlimited.com. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back. Um, Jeremiah and I are just continuing our conversation about inflation and the impact is kind of top of mind subject matter for a lot of people. And, um, you know, this segment, we're going to kind of talk more about how do you invest? How do you protect your portfolio? Yeah. What do you do through this period of time? And again, my comment is you don't make dramatic adjustments in the midst of um, in, in, in the midst of this volatility. We made our adjustments really before the end of the last year, yeah. kind of going into this. Yeah. And, and the adjustments aren't, you know, sell everything and move everything over here. I mean, right. for most our clients and, and even you know anyone having a core portfolio, a core holdings of, of, of either assets or stocks that, that will be fine no matter what the industry or whatever, what the season, you know, high inflation, low inflation, that that's ideal. And for a lot of folks, that's a, a strong portfolio with dividend paying companies. It doesn't have to be that. Um, there's a lot of those, but that that's a core that we use. That's a core that a lot of, well, again, we, use. we looked at the, um, what we call the large cap growth companies, which are made up, you're mostly your high, high end technology companies and the valuations were just extremely high. So it made a good, it made a good sense to make a change. And we went to, uh, what we call high cap or large cap, uh, value companies. And those are made up primarily your manufacturers, uh, food producers, uh, energy companies, some of those finance companies, and they've held up pretty well uh, through this period of time. And again, you rebalance based upon certain macroeconomic data. And we knew that inflation was coming, albeit how much we didn't know. We don't yeah. know exactly what was going to happen. But at the same point in time, you position your capital and you don't necessarily just change. You don't just 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 all of a sudden abandon everything yeah. that you agree to. That's right, and that's part of the I guess the long term view investing of you know, right. there's a core for everyone's portfolio that they may not change much, but that rebalancing, and I'll just talk about that for a minute. I and mean, rebalancing is you know, kind of, a, I guess, an investing term, but but if you have a, you say you had only two stocks, one goes up and one goes down. If initially they were 50, 50% of what you were right. invested in, over time, the one that's gone up might become 70% and the one that's gone down might become 30%. Well, now, do you still like that allocation or do you want to rebalance, meaning sell some of the one that went up, buy more of the one that went down and bring it back to a 50-50 for your portfolio? And that's what we do. That's what a lot of people do over time is they rebalance. And sometimes you rebalance into the into the original um, setup that you had. You say, yep, that's still the percentages I want. And you rebalance all your assets to be back to those original percentages. Or you rebalance into something new. Right. You, you say, oh, we want to rebalance to, to add more tech companies. And what we've added uh, since since the end of last year, we've added more in the sense, sense of commodity-based and or tangible asset kind of companies. And that's something that we've added to the portfolio. Again, we didn't abandon all of the companies that we had in the portfolio. It's just that we trimmed them down and then we added additional um, components. Again, this large cap value is, I keep referring back to that because, you know, to to the listening audience, I mean, they may not understand exactly what that means, but, you know, companies that are manufacturers, companies Mm -hmm. that produce products that you and I probably use every day, utility companies, for example, real estate, things like that, mining, uh, manufacturing, these are companies, and they really haven't enjoyed a lot of growth uh, in their in those particular stocks. But their their time to shine right now has been for the last three to three to four months. So yeah. anyway. and we anticipate it will continue to be, but we'll, we'll see right. what the market does. So a comment, I guess, on commodities as well. 
you know, we just talked about it in our last segment about inflation and all these you know things are going up. Commodities are a great place to be in the midst of inflation, but they're also extremely volatile. Right. You know, we talked about hand sanitizer. You know, on one side, um, you know, hand sanitizer. If you were in that industry, say, you know, you know, prices have been strong; they've been growing. It's probably a great place to be. But the moment it clicks over to say, um, everybody has enough hand sanitizer, and there's warehouses full of it, that commodity may no longer ha- desire or bring a strong price. And so yeah, I mean, you can you, move real quickly um, in in you know gold, in cobalt, in oil, oil, uh, oil. Sorry. I mean, is is uh, of course we all see, feel the effect of the gasoline. But we've seen, I've seen in just a short period of time, I've seen oil prices go from $200 a barrel down to almost zero Mm. in a relatively short period of time. And, you know, if you bought at 200, you got hammered. I mean, you lost a huge portion of your portfolio if you bought on what was the reactionary headline, so to speak. Right. So with this specific moment, I think we have to be really careful of, you know, not overly, you know, beefing up a portfolio to say there's going to be inflation, we have to protect against it, knowing that we may see deflation in the mm-hmm. next two years or so. Right. Um, you know, we don't know the future, but I think that's that's the concern with a lot of folks is, you know, you have to deal with the inflation today, but you also don't want to put yourself in a position that's untenable if, if that inflation either fades away or goes back the other direction. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have to be um, proactive uh, in your in your positioning, and that's what we work very hard at. I cannot tell you where the market's going to be tomorrow or even next month, but I can tell you over time uh, if you have good solid companies. And uh, again, I always go back to the leverage. Mm. We try to find companies that that have are very low leverage or zero leverage. Um, um, those companies will withstand, uh, you know, the volatility of the marketplace and will be here tomorrow. The share price may go up and down. But that's why we build a cash cash in our portfolio so we can accumulate more shares of good quality companies during times of volatility like this. Yeah. It's not it's not a an exact science. We're not building a house. We're not building. We don't have concrete. It is you're looking at very specific things, and we have a team of people, some of the best minds in the industry, that are looking at these things and helping us with our decision process. Yeah. Yeah, to, to pivot just a little bit on this conversation, you know, we, we've talked with inflation and with the dollar, we've talked about it, you know, how does the dollar impact the world? Right. You know, and we see different currencies going up and down. And one item that's coming out of this, especially with the Ukraine and with Russia, is you know, there's a number of articles saying, well, the dollar is, is not going to be what it used to be. Right. You know, we have to be careful because the world's going to stop using the dollar. And the reason they're saying this is we've, you know, the, the West, you know, being in general has put sanctions on Russia. And a big part of that is they've, they've stopped their ability to use the dollar. And so these autocratic type governments may decide to stop using the dollar because they feel it's not safe for them. And the question was the alternative for them. Yes. Right. And, and that's a huge question right now, because where do you go? If you didn't want to hold your excess funds in dollars and people use dollars because they're stable, they're betting on the future of the U.S. economy. They're betting on the stability of the U.S. economy. Um, and so that's why people like to hold dollars. But you know, what else the alternative? Yeah. Would they, would they hold, you know, think of any other country, would they decide to to switch, just hold those? And, you know, Russia may want to hold their own rubles, you know, but that that doesn't, you know, hedge them against. Does the rest of the world want to hold rubles as a currency, as an alternative to the dollar, or do they want to uh, the Chinese currency? Do they want to hold that? Is Bitcoin going to have its moment, right? right? That people will say, I'd rather hold, hold one of those currencies. And, and, and part of it is the stability aspect. And that's why people hold the dollar. But the new dynamic we're starting to see is the um, ability of the U.S. and the West to place extreme sanctions on 
anyone using dollars, you know, we can control those. And I, I don't know, I don't, I don't see a fast change here, but that's a lot of the discussion we're having um, and reading in articles of, will that change? And I, I could see some autocratic governments who want to be doing their own, marching to the beat of their own drum, I guess, might say that. I, I think most of the world who wants to work with together and you know prosper together, they'll continue to use dollars. And yeah. we'll, we'll see where that goes. But it's interesting dynamic as we think of inflation. And then the connection is if the world stops using dollars, it's going to devalue the demand for dollars and, and, and our currency would deflate a bit. And the bottom line is we don't see that happening. We yeah. don't see the dollar being replaced by something else as the reserve currency. There could be some changes down the road, but there's been changes periodically and uh, through historical points in time that have changed how the dollar is perceived. But again, going back to institutional value, uh, the rule of law, the stability of the currency, those are key factors. And mm -hmm. if you're investing, you want to know something that's going to be worth something tomorrow when you place it in the bank or you hold it for a future use. So yeah. anyway, again, this is an ongoing conversation. If you'd like to know more about, uh, just talk to us about it. You know, just reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to uh, talk to you about how we would, you know, the concerns that you have about, about investing and what you do in this particular time. Uh, we've got a short article on whether you should buy or lease a car. Uh, stay tuned for our next section. We're going to talk about in news you can use. Hi, this is Hugh Hewitt. Hey, if you're retired or approaching retirement, listen up. Retirement planning is critical to your financial health. And like choosing the right doctor, your financial planner must be able to understand your concerns, help you navigate through your retirement, which can be filled with uncertainty, volatility. Certified financial planner Randy Barkley has been assisting clients for 30 years by helping them understand all the information that to most of us can be overwhelming. Go to retirementunlimited.org. Or call Randy Barkley for a no-obligation appointment at 888-627-8371. That's 888-627-8371, retirementunlimited.org. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. So what we want to talk about now is, I'm talking to a lot of you about automobiles. And, and one of the key questions that comes up, should I lease a car? Should I, should I buy a, a used car? Should I negotiate to buy a new car? There's limited supply. Everybody's heard about, you know, the premiums that they're, they're you know, that the dealers or whoever is getting mm -hmm. on their cars. So there's an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal. This is back in uh, August of last year. And it's, I've kept it and retained it, but it says when car leasing makes sense, and it talks about what you should be looking for if you buy a car versus a lease a car. Mm. And um, it, it's very valuable information. It helps you make kind of a pinpoint. And it's, it's very topical for today because if you need to get a car, what do you do? Do you buy a car? Do you lease a car? I mean, what, what yeah. are your options out there? If, Randy, if you had to pick one or two things that, that someone should think about as they go into lease a car, what, what would you say the key things they should be thinking? Well, the number one thing on the car is that you want to know what the residual value is going to be because that determines how much, how much your payment is made. And then the other factor is what is the interest rate that they are charging you? Because they don't tell you that. So you have to know what that interest rate is. And it's and I saved $50 a month on the last car, at least for my, my wife, just knowing what the interest rate was. And I went back to the finance guy and I said, what's your cost of money? And he looked at me kind of a blank stare. But once I knew what the, what the cost of money was, I could calculate that and say, you're overcharging me about $50 a month. And he because some things you know what the costs are, yeah. like the DMV fees, you know, the sales yeah, tax. And you pay that type Those of are things are there. So anyway, so- yeah. That's a great one. I think to for anyone looking at that to really dig into the lease to make sure you're getting a, a good deal. And you mentioned mileage as well to make sure that if if, if you only bought te, uh, drive ten thousand miles a year, 
you have a lease that's 15,000 miles. You're overpaying. You're overpaying. Yeah. Right. So you need to really get the car that makes sense for you. So this article is really valuable. If you would like to, you would like us to send a copy to you, we'd be more than happy to send it out to you. It gives you, it arms you with information to make a better choice. Yeah. And a lot of people need to make that choice right now. Right. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode, you can send us an email using the contact button on our website, retirementunlimited.com. Or just give our office a call. It's 951-684-7011. Until next week, folks, may you grow in wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for listening. Information and ideas discussed on this program are in the nature of general comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Do not constitute legal or financial advice and do not create an attorney, client, or fiduciary relationship. Any examples or circumstances discussed are fictional. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor, tax consultant, or attorney, as well as conduct their own due diligence prior to making any decisions. Investments involve risk and the possibility of loss, including the loss of principal. All situations are different and results may vary. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent, California license number 0518567. And Jeremiah Lee is a California licensed attorney and is responsible for this communication. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisory firm.